Maybe on? There we go. Um, I'm Tia. My pronouns are she, her. I will be uh, reading the reading for us. Today the reading is from John 11, 17 through 44. When Jesus arrives, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for days. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, some two miles away, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them about their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. While Mary stayed at home, Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that God will give you whatever you ask of him. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection of the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, even though they die, will live. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one coming into the world. When she had said this, she went back and called her, Sister Mary, and told her privately, the teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come to the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. The Jews who were with her in the house consoling her saw Mary get up quickly and go out. They followed her because they thought that she was going to the tomb to weep there. When Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she knelt at his feet and said to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her also weeping, he was greatly disturbed in spirit and deeply moved. He said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus began to weep. So the Jews said, see how he loved him? But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the, opens the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, again greatly disturbed, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone was lying against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, already there is a stench because he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus looked upward and said, Father, I thank you for having heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I have said this for the sake of the crowd standing here, so that they may believe that you sent me. When he said this, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet bound with strips of cloth, and his face wrapped in a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Amen. Thank you, Tia. Good morning, everybody. My name is Jonah. My pronouns are they, them, theirs, and I am the lead pastor here at Zao MKE Church. It's so good to be with all of you this morning. We are in the midst of a series called Zao Lives. Tina had made reference to that. It's, it's partly our um, work together that we're doing to um, invest ourselves in our life here together through, uh, through giving. It's also a theological commitment we have uh, to being a community of life and of living and of the fullness of life. Zao is a Greek word. It's from the Bible, from the New Testament. And in fact, it's featured a bunch of times in this story. 
Um, the word zao is in every story that we're exploring throughout this series. And zao means literally to live. The more extended definitions include um, to be fully alive, to be among the living, not lifeless, not dead. And so even in this basic word, these concepts of death come together and are interacting with each other um, in, this, in this really powerful way that says that we are a community that declares life and not death, right? Life isn't on its own. Life is in contrast to the death that surrounds us, the death that we experience. Now here at Zao, we are a scrappy bunch. We do our best, you know. It's always a kind of an adventure. We're, we're doing church planting here. We built this church together from scratch. We are a community of life in the midst of scarcity in so many ways. I don't know if any of you um, are registering this, but it sounds to me like there's a tiny um, group of, of critters tap dancing in the background today. <laughs> Not sure what that's about. Um, we came in today and our lights didn't work, so I hope you like our new installation of utility lights and, and living room accessories. Um, but we are a community that finds light in the darkness. We are a community that builds life um, where it is not expected. Uh, and so that's why we have this imagery of life bursting forth from concrete, of being a community of life in the midst of the struggles of death. We are in the Gospel of John. Uh, we're in the Gospel of John today, and we will be um, next time as well. Because John, um, there are four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. They all um, are different books describing the life and ministry of Jesus, and they all have their own take, their own priorities. One of John's big priorities is life, and he talks about life, he calls it eternal life, and he talks about it a lot. Um, that's what's on offer with Jesus, is this concept of eternal life. Now, those of us who have had that concept, eternal life, interpreted for us over and over again by culture may think that that means when I die, I float up to heaven, and I get some wings, and I live on a cloud, and everything's groovy. Sound, sound accurate? Well, that's not exactly what's happening in the Gospel of John. In the Gospel of John, uh, the, the eternal life that Jesus is talking about is a lot more complicated, and in some ways, it's very convoluted. But Jesus is talking about life here and now. Jesus is very concerned with life, and very concerned with living well and living fully. So you would think that Jesus would hang out primarily with people who are already, like, invested in their own life and, like, taking measures and being careful, right? Like, Jesus is going to hang out with those folks who know the value of life and are, are really, are doing well. It makes me think of, um, did anybody ever watch that short from SNL called YOLO? You only live once. And their argument is, you only live once, so you better be really, really careful, don't, don't hang out near stairs. Be wary of falling pianos. Essentially, you should probably just lock yourself away. You only have one life, and it could be taken from you at any moment, so live in fear. This is the joke, the running joke, of the YOLO sketch. But it makes me think about the religious establishment in Jesus' time was actually a little bit that way. There was this emphasis on living right and living well and following all the rules and never taking any risks. And it was, um, the intention behind it was beautiful. It was to live out God's law and do well. But it really tipped. It tipped into scarcity um, and fear and had, had kind of immersed this culture in saying, hey, we're going to remove ourselves from anybody who might threaten the purity of our life. And so 
people expected that a teacher like Jesus would do the same. And so when he started hanging out with people who were sinners, um, who were threatening the purity of life, or worse, were sick, they were like, whoa, Jesus, why would you do that? Doesn't that make you dirty? Doesn't that make you unclean? Doesn't that threaten your life? And Jesus' response to that was, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. And so Jesus spends a lot of time with these people, these communities, with these spaces that the world around him has declared too off-limits, too gross, too um, dirty, lost causes. And that's why today we're focusing our Zao Live sermon on lost causes. Because the world has some pretty clear ideas about what's worthy of intervention and what's not. What's within the realm of salvageable and what's too far gone? But Jesus turns a lot of that on its head and heads straight for beelines for those places of our community, those places of ourselves that have been deemed lost causes. Jesus spends a lot of time with lost causes. People uh, and the world that... uh, people in the world that the religious community has given up on. Are we having too many problems with my mic? Should I switch to the other? What do do people think? Our music people. Yeah? I'm also feeling very loud, but that's pretty normal. (laughs) This mic? Just an, okay, great. All right, um, so back on track. Um, again, experimental church, doing our best. Um, yeah, I mean, like, this is actually exactly where I was going with this, which is that um, the world and, and the religious community have made some decisions on what's worthy and what's a lost cause, what we should not put any effort into. And it's possible that the reason that I really connect to Jesus in this is because I end up in those categories of lost cause a lot. Um, and, and I think that uh, some of those things are real in my life now. Some of them have been real before. But I'm a fan of lost causes because I am one and have been one. I mean, I was, as many of you know, if you stick around long enough, you'll hear me talk about it. But as an adolescent, I was a daily heroin user. How many, uh, how many heroin users and, and people suffering, suffering with drug addiction and substance abuse have been written off as lost causes? So I was written off as a lost cause because I was a heroin user. Or I was, I've been written off um, as a lost cause because I'm queer, or because I'm trans, or because I'm a survivor of trauma and assault, or because I've experienced deep depression and anxiety, or apparently because I'm a millennial, because I don't know if you heard, but we're the worst. <laughs> and yet here I am, alive and thriving and loved and loving others and deeply embedded in community here, here with you all, spiritual community no less. I don't know if you've heard, but the church is also a lost cause. I mean, apparently it's because millennials have killed that too, along with Applebee's and the napkin industry. <laughs> but church is considered a dying thing. Faith is a dying thing. Spirituality is passe. Because, uh, you know, it's not, it's not the thing it once was. The church has died in a way. And what the world sees when something dies or changes is that it is over. It is dead and gone and it is no more. It's a lost cause. We shouldn't even bother with it. The church is dead. 
More than that, church among people who are young or queer or live in cities, totally dead, am I right? All of you? Yeah, I mean, like, these are the things that, that we have been told are lost causes. We shouldn't even invest ourselves in them. Can I tell you my favorite lost cause in that category of church? Church plants. Starting a new church is a really bad idea. Um, it's, it's considered a lost cause in so many places. Parachute plants, which are what, we're a parachute plant. It means that somebody just, like, dropped a Jonah here and said, start a church. Um, <laughs> obviously kind of a lost cause. They have a 90% failure rate. And yet, here we are. Here we are. <laughs> Zhao lives. Zhao lives. We live, and that declaration of life is something that we do not only on Sunday mornings, but throughout our community and the way that we interact with one another. We are a lost cause, and therefore, we are a miracle story. And when I say we, I don't mean like we, this amorphous, you know, Zhao church. I mean we, those of us gathered in this room, have been written off in some way or another. And I might, I might not know the ways that you've been written off, but you do. And I want to tell you that the world has written you off, but Jesus has not. And Jesus will never. And in fact, it is Jesus' intention to come first to those parts of you that have been written off and bring those into the fullness of God's love, into the fullness of community. That that's where God starts. Andrew mentioned earlier that God starts at the margins and, and builds the whole community around that. God's not drawing the margins into the center. God's drawing the center to the margins. And that's true in a systemic level. Um, that's true in, in terms of these systems of oppression and evil in our world. But it's also true in a personal way. That God is trying to reorient you to your margins to find in you the places that you consider lost and draw the rest of you to that as that is redeemed. And in this story, there's a lot of talk of God's glory, that these are the things that demonstrate the glory of God. You sitting here being community, you are a demonstration of God's judgment, God's glory being higher and better than that of the world, being more powerful, more true, the miracle of new life than the threat of death that we experience day in, day out in our world. We do experience death and loss and pain and isolation. And that is exactly where Jesus brings life. In the world, we want easy answers. But Jesus knows that you can't actually be fully alive unless you contend with death. Jesus knows that you have to go and wrestle with death to emerge into life. That we can't skate past it or, or keep distant from it and say, well, that, we're going to put that behind the stone. Jesus says, roll away the stone. That's where life begins. And so today, we have a story of death and resurrection. Jesus is doing his thing. Jesus is rolling around the countryside doing his thing, but he's been doing ministry for a long time, so he's got these deep relationships. We may have heard about Mary and Martha before, if we've um, encountered those parts of the Bible, but they're beloved by Jesus. Earlier in the text, I, I know it was kind of a long passage today. Um, I'm, I'm going to reference part of the story that's even before that. And, and it's so funny because in the Gospels, oftentimes we get these little like three-sentence um, stories that's like, Jesus showed up and he did something amazing. And everyone was like, whoa! And that's like the end. <laughs> but this, we have this like really long, detailed story about Lazarus. It's one of the indications that this is important 
and that important things are happening here. And there's some repetition in this story that I know can make it a little easy to zone out on, but I'm going to hone in on that because those repetitions indicate some really, really true things about who God is and what we need to take away from this story. So Jesus is rolling around uh, doing his ministry and um, gets word from Mary and Martha. And, and the text actually says, the one you love is ill. And now he's getting that message from, um, from Mary and Martha, who later in the text it says he loves as well. So Jesus, who, you know, we, we make these blanket statements all the time. God loves you. God loves everyone. Jesus loves you. Jesus loves everyone. It's really easy to, to get caught up in that kind of like blanket statement and forget the particularities of it. So I want you to imagine right now that Jesus is, is living his life, doing his ministry. And the one he loves, that's what the text says, the one you love is sick. So Jesus gets this message. He gets it from people he also loves. And instead of going immediately, for reasons that we don't understand and we don't get an explanation for, he stays two extra days where he is. But then he goes. And when he decides to go, when he says, all right, all right, crew, we're packing up, we're going there, they're like, um, don't you remember that, like, last time you did that, they tried to kill you? Isn't that a problem, that they were, like, plotting to kill you and stone you to death? Do you, you just want to go back? And Jesus is like, yeah, yeah, let's go. And, and this is Jesus being um, the exact person that he promises he is, which is the one, the good shepherd. He's been talking about himself um, in these stories as the good shepherd, the one who lays down his life for his sheep. And so Jesus is going into a place of death, into a place of sickness, that again, other people would not have gone to at all. Not only is he going, but he's going at the risk of his own life. So Jesus is putting his life up to go to Lazarus, who, when, when they begin to talk about it, Jesus is like, oh yeah, Lazarus is definitely dead. Um, and so people are like, well, why are we going? Is La you know, Jesus says, well, you know, our friend Lazarus is asleep. And they're like, oh, he'll be fine. He's sleeping. And Jesus is like, no, you guys, I meant dead. I just was being polite. <laughs> so here Jesus is going to visit someone already dead, risking his own life. And he gets there. <laughs> And the first thing that happens is that they discover that Jesus is right. Lazarus has been dead four days by the time they arrive. And so Martha, whom Jesus loves, comes up to him and says, if you had been here, he wouldn't have died. Now Martha's reaction to that is to say, but, but, but Jesus, you know that God will answer any of your prayers. So like, come on, man, help us out. And so Jesus says to her, okay, Martha, I hear you. I hear your anxiety. Jonah paraphrase, obviously. But um, Jesus is saying, okay, Martha, I get you. I feel you. But your brother will rise again. And Martha's reaction is to say, yes, I know that he'll, he'll rise again on the last day, as we all will. And when I read this, depending on what mood I'm in, <laughs> I either hear Martha saying, like, yeah, okay, whatever, fine, like, I guess he'll raise on the last day, and, like, I have no hope, and this is all, all right, fine, he's dead. Or I hear him saying, like, or I hear Martha saying, um, yes, okay, he's going to rise on the last day, we're all going to rise on the last day, we live these short lives, they are painful, and we lose everything all the time, but at least there's that treasure in heaven that we're storing up, and so that's where my hope is, not in this life, but in heaven. And either way, it's kind of a giving up on right now. It's her saying, okay, on the last day. 
I hear your promise. I'll be with him again someday. And Jesus says to her, I am the life. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. I'm going to repeat that because it doesn't make sense. I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Like literally the commentary on one of my annotated Bibles says, this is not a logical statement. <laughs> I agree, annotation, I agree. <laughs> Jesus says simultaneously, the one who, believe, who believes in me will live even though they die, and also if they believe, they'll never die. So are we never dying or are we living though we're dying? And the answer is yes. <laughs> Thanks, Jesus, cleared that right up. So Jesus says to her these things. He says, do you believe? Do you believe that there is life in death? Do you believe that if you live fully, you'll never die? And Martha doesn't respond saying like, oh yes, that totally makes sense. I am somehow, you know, piecing this together. Martha says, I believe in you. Martha says, I believe that you are God. And I believe what you say. And and. A lot of people, again, will take this, this gospel, the gospel of John, which talks a lot about believing in Jesus. They take that in this really shallow, literal way that says, oh, well, apparently we're supposed to believe, like intellectually assent to the idea that Jesus is the son of God. And that's what faith in Jesus means. And whoever believes that thing as fact will be great. Good to go. But what seems to be mismatched here is that Martha isn't saying, hey, I believe that you're the son of God. These are true facts. Martha is saying, I believe you. I trust you. It doesn't make sense to me. I can't wrap my head around it. But I know that you are good, that you, the one who is promising me life, you are speaking truth. You are speaking divinity. And that's very different from saying Jesus of Nazareth was the son of God. Even in, in other Gospels, there are demons that Jesus encounters who recognize him to be the Son of God. And so there's this little mismatch, right, of like, okay, if, if the demons can assent to Jesus being the Son of God, is that what we're trying to aspire to? And the answer is no. It's not a matter of facts. It's a matter of trust. It's a matter of a relationship. And trusting that the voice that is true is not the voice of death, but that the voice that is true, the voice that is divine, the voice that is holy and good and God is the voice of life and of promise that says death does not have the final answer. That death will always give way to life because Jesus is life. Jesus is the life and the resurrection and is offering himself, offering God's self, offering the fullness of life to us in every moment at all time throughout all time. Those, those words, by the way, I am the life, you will live, those are all derivatives of Zao. That is what we strive for, to live in the fullness of Jesus, the fullness of the divine, and to then say to death, you are wrong. You are not final. You do not know. You call yourself the end, but you are the beginning. You are the beginning of God's glory, where God breaks into the world and does a new thing. And Martha is believing in that. Martha is believing in life when she says, I trust you, I believe in you. And so he goes. He goes um, 
deeper into the city and finds Mary. Now Mary's dealing with this a little differently. He finds Mary and she's weeping. There are many people weeping. Mary too says to Jesus, so the second time, if you had only been here, my brother would not have died. And again, Mary, Mary doesn't get an answer to that. <coughs> Jesus doesn't explain where he had been those last two days. In fact, he actually, in, in encountering Mary, who is, is not making the same requests as Martha, is not thinking about this sort of long term, but Mary is very present to what's happening right now. She's just grieving. She's just weeping. And she is weeping, and the people with her are weeping. And it says that Jesus is greatly disturbed and moved within him, and that he weeps with them. Now, Jesus weeping in this moment is a strange thing. Because Jesus knows that he's about to raise Lazarus from the dead. He's already hinted at that. Jesus knows that Lazarus is going to be walking in like a matter of minutes. So Jesus weeping is strange. Except that Jesus is a human being fully present to the people around him. And the people that he loves are in pain, are suffering, and are experiencing death. Jesus doesn't paper over that death. Jesus doesn't pretend that death isn't happening, and in fact, is moved deeply, moved to tears, moved to sorrow and regret and grief, even though he knows where this is headed, even though he has more trust in the life that is to come than any of us because he is the life, and still he weeps at the death. He weeps at the loss and the grief. And in fact, that, those, those words about being greatly disturbed, I looked into the Greek, it's actually related to anger. The word is related to the idea of snorting and anger. Jesus is angry at death, at loss, at destruction. Jesus, who brings life through death, still has that capacity to rage and grieve and weep and wail. And he does that with us. He doesn't tell us to stop. He doesn't tell us that our, our pain um, should uh, go away or be minimized just because good things are coming later. God is fully present to us and, in fact, weeps and rages alongside of us. And then he says, roll away the stone from the tomb. Now, the people with him still are saying, hey, if Jesus, you know, loves this person so much, they're observing, oh, he's weeping, he must have loved Lazarus. Here we get for the third time, if he had only been here, he could have saved this man. This person who heals the blind, he could have prevented this death. And again, we don't get an explanation. We don't get the reasons for these deaths. We only get that God is fully with us in them, that God grieves them too, that God is angry, that Jesus takes the time before ushering us into life to sit with us in death and feel the fullness of that loss before saying, now roll away the stone. When Jesus says roll away the stone, the people around him are not fully bought into this whole life thing yet, and they're like, um, yeah, there's a rotting corpse in there. It's going to smell. Like, don't roll away that stone because it's going to come out at us. And that image, that image of the part of you that is a lost cause, the part of you that has been rejected, being shuttered away for fear of the rotting stench and closed behind stone, that, reading that hit me really hard. Because that rotting sickness, 
I have felt that in my being. These parts of myself that I've closed off, these little deaths that I've experienced in my life that I thought nothing good could come from, that there was no resurrection in it because it was too gone, too far gone, too lost. Do you have those parts? Do you have those deaths that you have experienced? Perhaps you've experienced death through the end of a relationship. Perhaps you've been wounded in ways that feel too deep to heal. Perhaps there's been a time when you have failed yourself, your core values, who you thought you were, and that felt like a kind of death, a death that you can't look in the face, that you put behind stone. That fear that those deaths will come after us, that it will invade the rest of us, keeps us, like the religious uh, culture of that day, holding them at bay, saying, I don't want to go there. I can't look at it. I don't even want to smell it. And Jesus says, roll away the stone because that is where my glory will come to life. That is where you will find new life. That death is the beginning, is the seed of resurrection. I have come here for that. You are trying to keep it from me, from yourself. And that is what I am here for. Again, this is true on a deeply personal level. There are parts of you that have died. And I don't know what those parts are, but Jesus does. And those are the parts that Jesus is coming to resurrect and heal. And it won't be the same. It'll be new and different. But that regeneration, that's built into who we are, into our very bodies. Our skin regenerates in a couple of weeks. Our bones are made completely new in a matter of 10 years. We are a people of death to life to death to life. And that is what eternal life means. It does not mean one death and one eternal life. It means that God knows that we are in a world of death. God knows that we suffer these little deaths. God knows that we live in a, in a society of systems, of structures of oppression and death that kill and kill and kill. And so God has said, if you believe, if you trust in me, if you find life, if you look for me and allow me to bring my glory into the fullness of being, of being alive, you will see life come out of death. You will face life and know you will not die because my life is eternal. Something may die and a new thing will be born. And that is what happens in Jesus. That is what faith in the Christian tradition means. That no death is final. That life springs forth. That it might be smelly and weird. It might be painful. We might have to weep and wail and grieve. And also, the glory of God and its fullness will come stumbling out of that tomb at the sound of Jesus calling its name, calling your name, saying, come out. You'll have to remove your linens, your linens of death and burial. And the skin underneath might be raw, and it might be sensitive to light. <laughs> and like Lazarus, it will likely have to die again someday. But the fullness of life will be made manifest in that moment of that death that is exposed to the air, to the light, to the truth, to the life, to the voice of God calling, come home, be free. 
be alive. In Jesus, there are no lost causes. In Jesus, death becomes life. And we know that this isn't just a cheap thing or isn't just a thing that's assigned to humans, that it's our lot to suffer. We know this is built into the cosmos, into the reality of who we are, because Jesus did it too. Jesus didn't say, oh, it's a bummer that you have to die, but I promise to make life out of it. Jesus said, this is how it works. Watch me die. And also, watch me rise. And know that in my life is your life, and in my death is your death, but life will always have the final say. God is here for the fullness of life in the midst of death and through death to be among the living even in death so that we live and never die as wild and illogical and confusing as that is. It is true and it is our faith in life, in God, in Jesus that makes it so. While these miracle stories like Lazarus are far too rare, we know the story we claim in Jesus from death to life. We know Lazarus died again, death to life to death to life, this cycle. But we know the promise that we are not alone in our death. Our death is not final. And life, the glory of God, wins out in the end, over and over, forever and ever. Will you pray with me? Good and holy God, We thank you for your promise of life and new life. We offer up to you the parts of us that feel dead, feel too far gone, feel like lost causes. God, we pray that your glory would arrive, that you would give us the courage to roll away the stones, expose those parts of us that feel too weak, too dead, too vulnerable, too rotten. God, and that you, in your love, would shine on them with love, and bring them to life, that new life that is different, that is closer to you, that has something to contribute, that is a part of this project you have of reconciling all things to yourself. God, we offer these to you and pray that your will would be done, that death would never have the final answer, that you would seek us in the farthest reaches and bring life.